0: Last night, at about 5 o'clock or so, when I got back home after finishing everything here yesterday from the service, dinner time was rapidly approaching. And it had a cutoff because the start of the Chiefs game was also rapidly approaching. So I knew when I had to have dinner cooked and we could all eat and then hopefully have time before the game started. I had set out some chicken breasts that were frozen, boneless, boneless, skinless, uh, in the fridge to thaw overnight, and they were not all the way thawed. So I'm looking at my watch, thinking, what am I going to do? So I was just in the mood for chicken, and we had some frozen chicken tenders already breaded, like put them in the air fryer or in the oven and just heat them up and crisp them up, right? So I decided to go ahead and make those and kind of do some little sides with it, and I I wanted to have mine at least as a salad like to do a salad with cheese, and honey mustard, and chicken, and croutons, and then tomatoes, or whatever else. And as I was getting all that ready, going through to make sure I had everything, I realized that a couple days ago with our salads, we used the last of our croutons. It was too late, and it was too cold to go out to get more croutons. So I had to look through what we had, and say, how could I get something that closest resembles croutons? And you know what I did? I made tater tots (laughs) had some frozen tater tots put them in the oven and made tater tots and I didn't want to test them out like a small bite to see I thought I am committed at this point the clock is ticking so when everything was ready I got my bed of lettuce I put the chicken on the dressing the cheese and everything and then just a healthy three or four spoonfuls of tater tots and you know what it wasn't awful I mean, would I do it again? Probably not. Like, if I had croutons, I would always choose croutons over tater tots in that scenario. But sometimes you just have to try it, right? I'm glad I tried it. And the thing is, sometimes whenever we try new things like that, right, sometimes it goes great. It's better than we ever expected. Sometimes we try new things and it completely fails at our intended purpose. And we said, I won't even ask anyone else to try this. And then sometimes, in my experience, a lot of the time when, we try, when I try something new, is it kind of works, but it could have been better too. Jesus talks about that. Not about tater tots and salad. But Jesus talks about whenever we try different things, how we can have those different modes of success or failure or whatever comes in between. Let's listen to the first parable where Jesus talks about this. We'll hear it one more time this morning. Jesus began to teach beside the sea. A large crowd was around him, so he got into a boat, and he sat there, and that's where he taught from the boat while everybody else was on the shore. He taught them in parables, and he started with, Listen, a sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell on a path, The birds came, ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground. Wasn't much soil there. It sprang up quickly, but it had no depth of soil. So when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no deep root, withered away and died. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up, choked it, so it couldn't yield any grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30 and sixty and a hundredfold and he said if you have if you have ears to hear then hear you know this is really a story kind of about a careless sower isn't it can you imagine if you had five packets of seed and the first packet of seed that you had to grow you just threw down on your driveway and walked away Would we call that good stewardship? Would we call that, would you look out the window if your neighbor did that and went, he's lost it? Right? What would you do if you were a farmer and it was your profession? And you were relying on the crop to pay back the debts and to feed your family and to survive. And you had 200 acres, which wouldn't really be enough, 2,000 acres. And you decided, I'm just going to dump all the seed in one corner here, about a two-by-two-foot plot, and just see what happens. That wouldn't be very smart, would it? So what do we have here from a story, from a sower just throwing seed in places that we know is probably not going to work? Well, Jesus goes on, and we have a descriptor here for Mark kind of explaining an interpretation of this parable. But a very easy, quick explanation is that the seed is the Word, the Word of God. The seed is Christ, the Word, the living Word. And this is a parable on how people receive it or don't receive it. Or they receive it and it starts to grow a little bit, but the sun or the thorns, and it doesn't really go anywhere, and then it kind of drops away. If you want to look back at our prayer of confession, that's that's what it talks about. But think about this from the perspective of Christ. We're still early in Mark, but going through the Gospels, we have stories of Jesus going around, and we'll get more in Mark as we keep going through Mark this winter and spring, of Jesus going and healing and teaching and being rejected. People saying, well, you make some sense, but nah, I don't know. I don't think so. He would get rejected so forcefully to the point that he was killed on the cross because of. Because of what he was teaching was not received and lived and acted upon, it was forcefully rejected. But look at that in this passage. See, according to this passage, it really offers a different framework of how we measure success, especially from the perspective of the sower. If the goal is just to spread the word knowing that sometimes it's got to take deep root and grow and flourish and it's got to be amazing, and sometimes it's got to take shallow root and grow a little bit and kind of wither, and sometimes it's got to go nowhere, then perhaps we could say success, eh, kind of, and failure, or we could say is the success simply that we threw the seed out? And is that where the success-failure metric stops? Because if the goal is just to spread the word, then you could say Jesus was incredibly successful everywhere he went because he spread the word. Regardless of how it was received or acted upon. Let's keep that just in the back of our minds and keep looking at these two other parables. We'll hear the second one here again. Jesus also said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day. The seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. The seed grows, and he does not know how. If the sower or the farmer has no idea how it works, then it's just really kind of luck or chance or whatever else we may call it, the spot that he picks to throw the seed. And then he just goes to sleep. And just ignores it and goes about his day saying, At some point it'll rise, probably. I don't really know how this stuff works. If we think about the seed or the word growing without us, saying that we don't have to be there to tender every little part of it, is that liberating? Or is that depressing? Do we want to say, Wow, now I know that so much of this is not on my shoulders? Or do we look back and say, you're saying I spent so much time and it didn't matter? Someone would scatter the seed on the ground, it would grow, he does not know how. I learned early on in my ministry that I had pretty much no control, or very, very little control, over how my sermons or worship went. That's just the truth of it. Is there are things that I would think, maybe I would highlight it or start and i go, man, at the end of the sermon, everyone's got to walk away with this one thing. And then three, four weeks, months, whatever later, so i go, remember that sermon you preached? And you said this, and I, that stuck with me so much. And i go, I don't remember even saying that. That's not what I thought was got to be the takeaway at all. And then there are some times where in the moment I end up going a totally different direction and say, I have no idea if that worked or not. Or like the Christmas Eve evening sermon where those of you that were here or watched online, you got to see firsthand what that looks like. I had no idea where I was throwing the seed and the word and how that was going to grow or not grow, how that scattering would take place. And I learned early on, and this is numbers that I more or less made up, but to me it feels very true, is that in any worship service that any of us go to anywhere, probably about 10% of the effect of it is maybe what the sermon and the message is. Maybe about 10% is other things in the atmosphere, the music, the other elements of worship and prayer in the community and about eighty percent is what we bring into it because there could be times where if we enter into worship anywhere doesn't matter where we're at who's preaching it, we want to enter into worship that we are in truly receptive and open There has always got to be something that we can grab and take away if we enter into it closed off and upset And not wanting to be here and wondering why it's so cold outside and we came anyway then it doesn't matter what else happens or is said we're not ready to grab it and hold on to it and receive it there's a large part of the Holy Spirit at work that we can't always see but if we look for it we listen for it we can tell that it's here working living among us, but we have to be open to it. Let's keep both of those things in mind look at the third parable. Jesus also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable will we use for it? It's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth, yet when it is sown it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. At the grace table, grace space table, we have the coloring sheets. See the coloring sheets with the trees on it? That has the birds in it? Yeah, we got one already done. Another good one there. So let's make sure we get a couple of those on the board so everyone here can see a picture of a mustard bush and see what it looks like with the birds making nests in it. But I love that line. And that if you think, what is this fantastic thing coming, what it's got to be like? And Jesus says, it's got to be like the best shrub you've ever seen. Isn't that kind of funny? We don't necessarily think of like, oh, I need a good shrub. It's not the greatest tree. It's not a red, it's like, that's one big shrub over there. But what he's, Jesus is saying with this is that the smallest can become the greatest. This is in line with how the Gospel starts. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, if you think back to a few weeks ago, when when Ben read about eight different stories in the first 20 verses, oh I forgot to say, did anyone read the whole Gospel of Mark after Ben challenged you to do that? He was a substitute, so it wasn't a real assignment. You didn't have to do it. <laughs> oh, isn't that good? Okay. I couldn't help myself. That's the Holy Spirit, Ben. It's not my fault. <laughs> Okay, anyway, but the Gospel of Mark, it doesn't start with a baby. That's not the kind of small we're talking about. Jesus does not get born in Mark. It starts with John the Baptist, who prepares the way for Jesus, who helps make sure that there's good soil, and then the community grows and grows and grows and is still, to this day, growing. This also points the smallest to the greatest or to the largest, how the upside-down kingdom portrayed in Mark so that what Jesus is here to usher in is going to feel in so many ways completely opposite of this world and how things work in this world. Jesus repeatedly uses this kind of language, the smallest is largest, the first is last, the last will be first. We repeatedly see this paradoxical language of complete opposites being in, spoken as truth. And that all shows that part of what Jesus is wanting us to try to understand and to learn and get our minds set into it's to expect the unexpected. It's to expect that what we know and have lived and know to be true based on our life and our experience is completely Wrong. So if we have these three parables in mind and mark groups thematically, so these are very intentionally grouped together, not just because, oh, there's seeds in them, but because of the message that is being taught, we have these three together. What do we have? What do we take away? And what do we learn from this either individually but especially as a church? As we're here on January 14th, I had to look at my watch, January 14th, The beginning of the year, knowing there's a session retreat planned in a couple of weeks, we're installing and ordaining officers here this morning, that we have this whole year ahead of us, but also looking at annual reports or the annual statements Rogers pointed out. This is also very much a year-end period for the church. So what we have, when we look at these parables together, is we have an invitation for a paradigm shift. An invitation to adjust how we measure successes, and failures as a church to take it out of measuring them the way the world measures it and to look instead and how can we measure it in a way that aligns ourselves with the kingdom of god that jesus is describing a kingdom where the one sowing the seed doesn't know what or where or how it's going to grow a kingdom where the smallest seed may become the largest A kingdom where we're we're supposed to throw seed in places where we expect it ain't got to grow. The thing is, when we plant based on what we expect and we say, God, I got this. I know what to do. When we put it on ourselves, our expectations are sometimes wrong. You know, there's an old saying about what happens when we assume but I can't quite think of it so no one needs to say it out loud but I know there's a saying I think that's there about something like that but what would it look like if we had a paradigm shift we reviewed our last year or the history of our church and we put it from the viewpoint of the first parable we had. what if at the end of every year we looked back and we said okay what worked?" Where were the seeds that really grew? You know, that's not necessarily what we were expecting. What if we looked back and said, what seeds kind of grew? And maybe there's something we could do different. Or maybe we just say, "Yeah, you know, we tried it. It was tater tots on a salad. We did it. Or what if we looked back and went, man, those seeds really didn't grow at all, did they? There was really nothing fruitful that came out of that time and energy and our resources. That's one way we could do it. And we're kind of following that paradigm. But I think if we do that, we're missing the point. Because we could look back that way. If we look back and said, we did these ten things, and everything grew fruit, and everything worked just as we expected it to, successful year. Then we're completely missing the point of these parables. A successful look back at a church year is to be able to look back and to see numerous things that we tried that were courageous and out there and creative that completely floundered our expectations. Does it feel weird to have that mindset? Because see, in a success-failure culture, we want to avoid failure at all costs as much as we can. But the role of the church is to just throw the seed out. Knowing that if we invite, let's say we invite 10 people to church. If I say pick 10 people in your life, invite them to church, and you say, I'm going to do it. There's probably one person you invite who you go, oh, they're going to be there. I know if I ask them, they'll be there. Might not show up. You could say, man, I was at nine people, it was Saturday night, so I just asked someone walking along, she so street, say, hey, my church is down there, come if you want, see ya. And that might be the only one of the ten that shows up. I've seen that happen. The role of the church is to not get in ourselves and have our minds get in the way of thinking, I don't think that'll work, let's not even try it. To say, let's just throw the seed. Let's just see where it grows, because if we're like the farmer in the second parable, we know that the spirit is working, that Jesus is the word, that God's overlooking all of it, we don't know what's got to happen. And it's not all up to us. You know, I said earlier about, about the sermons that, you know, maybe 10% of it is me. and I always know how it's got to go. Another way to look at that that stuck with me that I learned in seminary from a professor I adore uh, is she said that always remember, whether it's your preaching or in the community or any sort of church work, that no one's ever been argued into believing in Jesus. If you have someone in your life who does not believe in Christ, you can't sit them down and say, let me tell you ten reasons why you need to believe starting now, and then argue them into faith. It's not how it works. The room for the Spirit, for Christ, for God, there are things that happen in the soil that we have no part in because we're not God. But it is up to us. Look at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, the Great Commissioning, to spread the word. And being indiscriminate, being radically hospitable, being with the inclusion team saying, it's for everybody, we don't necessarily know where it's got to go, but we're going to try. And if a church looks back and says, man, we really tried some things last year some really worked and some really did it, and some, and this is the great part, some worked in ways that that failed based on our expectations, our goals, but something beautiful grew out of it that we never could have done on our own and never would have even imagined was possible. When we open ourselves up to that thinking, that shift, and when our leaders take on to say, God, where are we supposed to throw seed and just have faith in you that you're working in it? That's when we see the kingdom of God amongst us. Perhaps that can be a challenge for this year. And to have the faith and the trust that the Spirit is working in ways that we will never know. And to be okay with that. Amen? Amen.